Welcome to the Special Bulletin Review, an enterprise cloud conversation sponsored by Oracle. Here's today's moderator, Tom Temin. Welcome and thanks for joining us. My guest today is Devarius Peoples, Chief Information Officer at the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. Mr. Peoples, good to have you on. Thanks for having me. Let's start at the 50,000-foot view of the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers as the CIO. What is your generally role? What are your priorities in terms of technology and information for the uh, Corps? Yeah, so the Army Corps of Engineers, it is a organization that is based off of construction uh, with three major efforts and initiatives with disaster relief. Uh, it is also uh, focused on the civil aspect of the mission, levees, locks, dams at your various state and local areas. And we also do military construction for, for the Army, DOD, and we provide the civil aspects of supporting the local areas. Some of our major efforts and initiatives that we're focusing on in FY21 is a system modernization. Uh, we have a lot of AISs, our automated information systems that are pretty much end of life that we're in the process of, of modernizing. Uh, we are also moving towards more of a zero trust methodology and a continuous ATO, moving more so from the theoretical aspects of zero trust and operationalizing it. And we're also trying to figure out or modernize the way in which we go through the risk management framework and provide ATOs or authorizations to operate to a lot of our systems on the network. Instead of doing them in more of a streamlined approach, we're moving more towards the continuous aspect to where cyber is, is every day and it's not just a snapshot in time. So those are all of the things that we're beginning to look at. And last but not least, we're moving more towards a data-driven organization. And that data-driven organization is consistent with where the larger Army headquarters CIO is moving with, with Dr. Iyer, who's the new CIO. Uh, we're focused more on enabling master data sources, being able to access data real time and allow our senior leaders to make more authoritative decisions uh, with the data in which it is that they have in a consumable form that makes sense to even the most generic of users that tries to access the data. And you mentioned several missions areas that the uh, core has. Are they tending to be in terms of the IT that the IT that's supporting them? Do they tend to be siloed, or is the integration maybe as one organization, regardless of the particular task or mission, is that part of the goals here also? Right, we are a more siloed, we have been in the past more of a siloed organization. We're now moving more towards that, that enterprise perspective and with enterprise perspective meaning also shared services. How can we share our capabilities with the rest of the department where there may be a need um, within, a, within a given subset? So when you talk about data and those type of things, we are trying to allow anybody that needs access to the data, the ability. However, we're trying to also secure it. So those are some of the things in the modernization methodology and approach that we are modernizing towards uh, within the Corps of Engineers. Yes, because there is a larger U.S. Army that you are part of. So maybe describe a little bit about what you do on the behalf of the Corps itself and how and when you need to be integrated with the larger Army Department for IT and networks and so on. Right, so the Army Corps of Engineers is a very unique organization. We actually manage and maintain our own network uh, called CoreNet. However, with that being said, we do integrate with the Department of Defense and the larger DISA uh, network as well, too, because as, as communicated, we have a unique mission. One aspect of it is civil, which focuses on the federal aspect of the organization. And then there's the DOD mill department aspects where we, as I said, integrate with, with headquarters, Army, 
as well as DISA for, for a lot of our services. So with that being said, we follow a lot of Army regulations and guidelines. Uh, we also follow a lot of federal regulation and guidelines. So as CIO, trying to find where that sweet spot is when it comes to how we implement things, how we go about service, servicing our customers, that's the challenge, but that's also the beauty in, in being a part of the Corps of Engineers. And, and Big Army supports us on the CIO side and the G6 side. They support us in, in multiple ways. Um, they do a good job in assisting us with being able to acquire the right funding to be able to move initiatives forward, as well as to be able to assist us in some of our efforts, such as the data strategies. We have the ability to be able to take advantage of a lot of the things in which it is they're putting in place. So there is a very unique uh, relationship between us, but it's very effective in how we deliver services to enable our end users to be successful. And you did mention earlier this crisis management and disaster relief role in addition to the construction piece. So does that cause the Army Corps of Engineers to also interact with some civilian parts of the government, FEMA, other components of Homeland Security and so on, that might also impinge on a given bad situation? Yeah, definitely. We, we work closely with FEMA, uh, DHS. Uh, we work closely with the Department of Energy um, as well when you look at the, the, the critical infrastructure aspect of the mission also. So we are, again, unique. It's, it's a dual mission the civil agency side of the house and the DOD. Um, and we do more, to, to be honest, we do more interact, we have more interaction or we do more work with the civilian side of the house than we probably do on the mill side uh, from a DOD perspective, being that, that, that civil aspect of disaster recovery, floods, wildfires, COVID-19, all of those things are really civil uh, supporting aspects of the mission. So we do interact with those guys. Um, quite frequently, uh, Coast Guard, we have a great working relationship with the Coast Guard as well, too, um, supporting all aspects of our civil mission. And just talking about the pandemic for a moment that you mentioned, every agency had to react in much the same way, but each agency has kind of a unique story on how it went about enabling people to work remotely and otherwise dealing in a technological sense with the pandemic. What is the Army Corps of Engineers story there? Yeah, so within the Army Corps of Engineers, it's, again, it's, it's very unique. I can't use that term enough. Uh, we started out, as, as we've told this story, we started out with a fiber cut at one of our major data centers in Vicksburg, Mississippi. So just imagine you have 36,000 users that, um, that can't connect on the first day of, of remote work. Um, so that was a, a disaster averted. Um, we were able to work with our mission partner to reestablish comms. It took us 12 hours. So I don't want think people to I don't want people to go away with the impression that everything was seamless as we begin to support our users in, in this remote environment for for COVID nineteen support and beyond. Um, so with that being said, after that twelve hour period, we begin we began to get on stable grounds. However, come to find out now our VPN had a limited capacity. So we get from fiber cut to now limited capacity on the VPN. So we were kind of playing musical chairs with who could get on the network, who couldn't get on the network to ensure that the mission could continue. So within a seven day period, we were able to effectively increase our VPN capacity to where now on a given day before COVID-19 happened, we had roughly about uh, maybe 800 users uh, leverage the VPN access to where once we got operational and, and, and started to operate in this COVID environment, we now have 24,000 to 30,000 users leveraging the VPN daily. I mean, we were able to scale our VPN capacity to 80,000 so we went from, from 800 to 80,000 in about the capacity span of seven days. So all of those things were very effective as we move forward to, to be able to effectively meet our mission and do what it was we needed to do. And now here we are operating in a COVID environment. 
uh, still modernizing our major applications, still providing relief where the nation needs us to be at. And we're still fighting natural disasters, floods and those things. So from an IT perspective, ensuring that our users can effectively have access to their applications and, and work as if nothing has ever happened is what we are in the process of trying to continue to do on a daily basis. And you mentioned modernizing a couple of times, and you also mentioned the data center in Vicksburg. What is the specific modernizing strategy? What are you trying to do here vis-a-vis your networks and also your data centers? Right. So we are now in the process from a data center perspective. Um, We have consolidated all of our major data centers into two. Now they reside in our prime areas, Vicksburg, Mississippi, and, and our last one is in Portland, Oregon. So that gives us redundancy. So what we're in the process now of working with some of our mission partners, we are moving to a Equinix type of facility and construct to where we are deploying a hybrid cloud environment. Uh, and that hybrid cloud environment will consist of some on-prem, which we will manage inside of our, our what we call the Meet Me Point, which is an Equinix facility that we're working uh, with our mission partner in Verizon and some of the likes. And then we're also working with our major cloud brokers, uh, whether that's Azure, whether that's AWS, um, Oracle and several others, you name it. We are we are sitting with the big boys and we're playing in those same spaces for, for data center and cloud modernization efforts. Um, so hopefully within the FY21 fiscal year, we will be able to effectively build out our cloud environment um, for our on-prem aspects of things, which will give us uh, our triple active architecture that we're looking for, which means we'll never have any downtime as we migrate, modernize, and effectively secure through patching, through patch management and those type of things of our major mission applications. Um, it'll also allow us to effectively have uh, ease of, of access from our access points um, to where wherever you are in the nation, you'll be able to effectively access the, the network and the environment. Um, so we have a lot going on in the modernization space. Modernization hasn't stopped and we'll continue to try to enhance the end user experience for our users. It sounds like the cloud idea that that migration might be also backing up to what your network strategy is to optimize that for having hybrid cloud. Right. Uh, that is that is a part of our, our strategy. Um, as we align ourselves with the federal data strategy, the DOD data strategy, as well as the cloud strategy as well, uh, moving in a cloud smart manner. Um, those are the things that we're doing now, identifying where's the proper place to put our, our resources to ensure effectiveness and mission collaboration, um, as well as connections to, to be able to access those, those end user uh, capabilities. So all of those things have have properly influenced and informed us on the best way to to move forward in a hybrid cloud environment. Because again, one size doesn't fit all. um, And it depends on what the requirements are and what the mission needs are, which dictate where we go or how we posture ourselves to be successful in in a hybrid cloud type of environment. And give us a sense of how you are evaluating all of the potential workloads and where it is best to have them because some might want to stay in the data center, some might be brand new and would be in one of the clouds. What's, what's the process for, for allocating workloads and, and the process for deciding where they should best operate? Right, so, so the, the geographical disbursement of the core is very large, 55 districts, nine divisions. So when you think about districts, we're in 55 locations within the United States. Um, that's servicing your various state and local entities. And then those nine divisions, are the central point that actually oversee the various districts that support those local entities. So with that being said, you're spanned across the United States from California all the way down to Florida, um, or as up north as from Maine 
all the way down as far as south to, to Texas, or you name it. So with that being said, every geographical location inside of the United States, there is different connectivity from the outskirts of Montana um, all the way up to the highest left quadrant of, of, of Walla Walla and the Washington area. Um, so when it comes to connectivity, you just can't guess how, how that will, how optimal that will be. So some of the things we have to keep in mind as to how we properly identify which workload goes where. So that's based off of an, an app rationalization process. Um, we have began this journey of identifying which apps need to go where, working with the various stakeholders and, and mission owners. Um, and with that being said, app rationalization consists of, of replacement, identifying the workloads, and it also consists of modernizing where, where applicable um, to enhance that specific mission set from an application perspective. So we are full hands-on going through the app rationalization process now to determine that workload and identify where applications are in the life cycle of maturity. And based off of that, we would then begin to insert them into the data center or their, their final landing spot as to where they will reside. Um, from a data center perspective, we have begun to posture ourselves to where regardless of where you are in the nation, you will have the most optimal means of connections. And we have integrated those, all of those resources to a point where there will be no downtime and every place you're located will have the same connectivity, speed, and mission enhancement. And we'll be able to fill over the traffic where needed um, to ensure redundancy, um, ease of use, patch management, cybersecurity, and all those other good things. All right. On that note, we'll take a short break. My guest today is Devarius Peoples, Chief Information Officer at the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. I'm Tom Temin on this special bulletin review and enterprise cloud conversation sponsored by Oracle here on Federal News Network. The opportunity for the public sector and technology industry to work together has never been greater. Join Oracle's One Federal Monthly webcast series for a front row seat to learn how your federal peers and industry leaders are delivering practical, innovative solutions for today's evolving challenges. You'll learn firsthand how Oracle and its partners are changing the way industries do business, starting with an enterprise cloud without compromise. Register now for Oracle One Federal at oracle.com slash onefederal. Welcome back to our special bulletin review and enterprise cloud conversation sponsored by Oracle here on Federal News Network. My guest today is Devarius Peoples, the Chief Information Officer at the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, and I'm Tom Temin. And before the break, we were talking about applications and, of course, with application rationalization and maybe modernizing of some of the applications comes that idea of continuous authority to operate that you mentioned earlier, the ATO. And of course, a lot, of, a lot of agencies find the ATO can kind of put a gum up in the works if you don't design around ATO in some way. So what is your approach to continuous ATO with respect to your applications and how does cloud support all of that? I guess a lot to ask in one question. Yeah, so cloud is baked into that actually. Because in order to operate, regardless of where you're operating, if it's an on-prem managed environment, if it's a cloud environment, at the end of the day, every environment must be secure. And in order to do that, you have to have the proper documentation to reflect it. But then you also have to have the right things applied to that environment. Um, cybersecurity is one of those things that it's not just a snapshot in time. It's not just something that you look at once a year. Um, cybersecurity is continuous because the threat is always, the threat never sleeps, uh, whether that's insider or whether that's external. Uh, you can't be relaxed in cybersecurity. So one of the things that we begin to do is look, and look at it from a continuous aspect. How do we evolve the continuous monitoring aspect of our accreditation and our security posture? Uh, what that does is it continues to allow us to 
to scope and effectively get after mitigating the threat, identifying where we're vulnerable and where we're weak at and where we need to begin to enhance certain things. Um, so we have begun to pilot the continuous aspect of our, of our monitoring um, as well as of the RMF process. Um, right now, we do go through the standard processes before systems are put onto the network. We go through the RMF process. And then before it's time for renewal of that specific uh, authority to operate, we, re we review it. Um, but now 365, cyber is 365, cyber is continuous. Um, and with that being said, we are enhancing how we do business. So working with our cybersecurity professionals, we have begun to monitor our security posture frequently every day. So if there's anything that needs to be tweaked, if there's anything that needs to be modified inside of our documentation or even our security posture, our cybersecurity professionals are ready to be able to tackle those things. Um, and from a continuous monitoring standpoint, it has given us the opportunity and the ability to continue to assess and see where the, vulner where the vulnerabilities lie and where the threats are. Um, so that means we continue to mitigate every day. Every day we're finding things out, every day we're learning, discovering and recovering, but that has enhanced how we do business on-prem and in the cloud. And it also enhanced how we work with our mission partners as well that provide us software as a service capabilities inside of those cloud environments also, because it's also having them to, it's challenging them rather to think of, of accreditations in a continuous manner versus a snapshot in time as they go through the process as well too. So it can be cumbersome, but if you get in a routine manner of doing those type of things, then it becomes a lot less easier. I mean, it becomes a lot more easier rather for your cybersecurity posture to become enhanced. And of course, with applications that you are checking for security and bugs and so forth, and there's a lot of ways that, that vulnerabilities can come into a set of software. Do you find that there are cloud-based services that can en enable that process to monitor and measure the software and evaluate it, uh, even if it may not be eventually running in the cloud? That is, what, what is the role of cloud services other than application hosting that may come to impinge on this whole process of assuring cybersecurity? Right, so we work with a cybersecurity service provider on the Army side, a C5ISR, uh, who provides us a lot of the cybersecurity services uh, that, that allows us to properly secure our cloud environments. Um, and that has been an Army mandate through Army Cyber that organizations going to the cloud will receive those services. And what that does is that provides you with a standard cybersecurity suite um, of, of capabilities that ensures that as you operate in the cloud, you're operating effectively. Uh, however, with that being said, that's just one aspect. We have also worked with various mission partners, such as Microsoft inside the O365 environment that has a certain set of security suite uh, tools as, as well, too, that, that protect us from, from, the vulnerable, from the vulnerable threats that are out there as well. Um, so being able to deploy that full security suite is also enhancing what we do. And then we're looking at the zero trust aspect of the zero trust methodology which can be applied throughout all cloud environments. We're now operationalizing that concept, which at one point in time was more so theoretical. So how do you deny all, allow by exception, but then have the ability to partition to give those that need the ability to access certain swim lanes that ability, but then separating them from the rest of the enterprise to prevent any type of compromise or, or intrusion on, on various aspects that, that, that where it shouldn't be. So those are all the things we're looking at, leveraging cybersecurity tools through, a, through the cloud, as well as through a service provider um, with the unique aspects of our mission. And that zero trust idea relates in some way to all of the people using VPN capability to get into their work now that they are all, you know, because of the pandemic, everybody teleworking. Is there a thought of getting past the 
VPN technology to newer types of access that uh, can maybe better support a zero trust model? Yeah, there are many aspects. Um, VPN is just one way to connect. Um, a lot of different new technologies are going towards the web-based access of how you connect through the web. Um, if you look at the Microsoft uh, CVR capability that we use inside of the uh, inside of the department now, which allows us to effectively collaborate across the entire mission space, um, you can actually begin to see some of the zero trust methodologies or principles also being applied to that construct as well too. Um, so with that being said, there are a lot of technologies out there to properly protect and secure um, secure those cloud environments. VPN is just one technology, one capability and resource that allows users to be able to effectively do that. But now as we move towards more of this mobile construct, um, even with inside of the core from a mobility perspective, mobility allows for users to be anywhere and access their mission applications at any time. Um, so that means some users may not have VPN access on a lot of their mobile devices. So how do you ensure that there are two-factor authentication that allows for secure access to mission-critical applications to be able to do your job? Um, because ultimately, a VPN, you have to be sitting somewhere to connect to get there. But with a lot of these new mission applications, being able to access them on mobile, mobile devices, iPads, iPhones, and tablets, um, you may not necessarily be required to access to it through a VPN but more so through some type of two-factor authentication or some type of credentialing capability that allows you to connect to that application more effectively. So we're looking at all aspects of technology to continue to move our modernization and digital transformation journey uh, to the right, I mean, to the left a lot more effectively. And I wanted to ask about the data-driven organization that you said the Army Corps of Engineers is working to become, uh, because that brings up a lot of questions. Where is your data and how, how do you govern the data? So what's the technical strategy or some of the strings there? And then we can talk about what the governance strategy is because they do relate to one another. Sure, we look at, um, we look at our, our data strategy in, in, in multiple ways. Uh, you have the people aspects of that. Um, you have the mission aspect of that. And you have the culture aspect of that. Um, we look at it from a people standpoint, ensuring that our individual employees have the knowledge and the understanding to be able to effectively meet the mission goals and objectives and understand what it means to be a true data-driven organization and data-driven enterprise. So we are working to ensure they have the proper training, the proper resources to be able to effectively do, our, do their job. The next aspect of our data strategy focuses on culture. Uh, you have to begin to socialize a data-driven culture in order to really get after a data-driven enterprise. Um, because data is the center universe of everything which it is that we do specifically in the core, as well as within the Army. Um, I participated in several discussions. Two years ago, data was, was, wasn't talked about as a weapon system. Actually, data wasn't really talked about at all. Uh, now, when you fast forward two years, look at where we as an Army has come, we as a department has come, we're talking about data as, as, as everything in which it is that we do. So creating that culture, really understanding what data means and how to effectively use it to make more informed decisions is, is definitely critical and key. So one of the things we've done at the core, we've broken it into three parts. The first phase of our data strategy is the, the visualization aspects of things. How can an end user or how can a senior leader be able to consume data in its most rawest of forms, but be able to make informed decisions from a visual standpoint because we're visual creatures? The next aspect of it, which we call the second layer, is the data quality, the data management aspects of things. How do we ensure that you have access to your data in real time to be able to, to have quality of it, where it's not just 
uh, raw data, dirty data, but it makes sense when, when, it's, when it's output to an end user. And then ensuring that the platform is safe, stable and solid, whether that's in a cloud environment or an on-prem environment, users have the ability to effectively do their, do their job in a secure environment with access to real-time data that makes sense at the end of the day with what you're seeing. So we've come a long ways. We still have room to grow as we modernize a lot of our major business applications and business systems because they all have data. So how do we effectively share it? That's critical and key as well, too. So we're definitely excited to be on that journey. And earlier, you mentioned that the Army Corps of Engineers uses a cloud broker and that you have a hybrid approach and several different cloud suppliers. What's your approach to evaluating cloud and how do you work with industry and what is it you seek from industry to best optimize what it is that the core is trying to do? Right. It's, it's understanding the workloads, <clears throat> understanding what it is you're trying to achieve, because every cloud is, is built for, for something different. One size doesn't fit all. And as an organization, ensuring that we won't have the right requirements. And then two, we understand what we're trying to do, whether that's a, a, a Unix, Linux type of platform, whether that's a Windows type of platform, um, the, the operate, operational loads, what we're trying to achieve. So we have begun to work with industry to really sit down and map out our requirements. What is in the best interest of USACE um, and how do we benefit the Army or help, uh, help move the Army's overall mission forward? Um, and working with a lot of our mission partners, vendors, um, we have all come to the table and begin to map those out through the whiteboard concept. Um, and with that being said, they are helping us become more educated and informed as to what's the best position for our various workloads as it pertains to the various cloud environments and those type of things. So it is definitely a, a partnership. Um, and those are some of the things that we appreciate and value the most from our industry partners, the insight and, and the, the resources that they can bring to us to help us begin to move forward even more effectively and expediently in this mission space. And a final question, how important is cloud interoperability to you or do you use each cloud provider for the specific strengths that it brings? Yes, yeah, so we use them for the strengths that they bring. However, the interoperability is critical and key because as you know, various organizations use various cloud environments and the ability to be able to share data because that's what it, that's what it comes down to. Can I effectively share data to move the mission forward? And being that mission workloads reside in various cloud environments, having that interoperability amongst cloud environments are critical and key. Um, a good example, even within the core alone, within inside of the Army Corps of Engineers, um, we have our major financial systems, which resides in a specific environment. We have our major uh, email and, and some of those other specific workloads reside in another environment. And at the end of the day, being able to share that data, access it, are all, is all critical and key. So the interoperability aspect is huge. And we rely upon that every day to be successful in order to be able to do our job and meet all the mission objectives that's, that's required from the Army Corps of Engineers. All right, good place to conclude on. Thank you so much. Our guest today has been the various peoples, the Chief Information Officer at the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. I'm Tom Temin. You're listening to Federal News Network. For more on this discussion, please visit federalnewsnetwork.com and search Oracle. Thank you for listening to the Special Bulletin Review, an enterprise cloud conversation sponsored by Oracle on Federal News Network. The opportunity for the public sector and technology industry to work together has never been greater. 
Join Oracle's One Federal Monthly webcast series for a front row seat to learn how your federal peers and industry leaders are delivering practical, innovative solutions for today's evolving challenges. You'll learn firsthand how Oracle and its partners are changing the way industries do business, starting with an enterprise cloud without compromise. Register now for Oracle One Federal at oracle.com slash onefederal.